0: What's up, everybody? You're on the Bulletproof Mafia. I'm Michael Munsterman. Today's episode The Bottom Line. Built up with your average, ultimate hustler. I'm the total package, bulletproof. I know you see me in your scope. I'm the captain of the ship. You just a sailor with a boat, bulletproof. Built up than your average, ultimate hustler. I'm the total package, bulletproof. I know you see me in your scope. I'm the captain of the ship. You just a sailor with a boat, bulletproof. Normally I start and I try to explain the title out a little bit, but I'm going to start with the story today. The year was 2008 and some interesting things had happened in one of my companies. So we were we weren't importing yet. We were buying infrared heaters. There were these square wooden box heaters that we were selling to, you know, our, our, our target market doesn't really matter, but we were selling a bunch of these heaters. And we had a supplier for our product out of uh, Yelm, Washington. So we were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a week to buy these heaters from this guy. And as we were buying the, the heaters from this guy, we get, a, we get a phone call from the manufacturer who we had met. Uh, we had flown over to Taipei, Taiwan. That's where the manufacturer was. And, and we had met with them. And We'd established some rapport with them, but this, this guy I never talked to, he calls me, he goes, this is Thomas. I go, hi, this is Michael. I'm Mr. Gusan. I'm like, cool. I'm, I'm Michael. And he said, why are you not pay? I said, what? You no pay. Why you no pay? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? Why, why am I not paying? I just wired you just last week, $800,000. I don't know you. Who are you even like, dude, like I, I think you're confused. And see, what I was doing was I was wiring money to a, to a middleman, and he was providing us with product direct from the manufacturer. He was making a markup, and every, all three of us knew the arrangement. We were all cool with it. And then he was supposed to send our cost onto Taiwan, to these guys. But he had gotten into a financial bind, and he wasn't able to pay. So he was skimming our money off the top, blaming us for being behind and leveraging that against us. And so... This guy and I, I got him to calm down just so we could chat long enough. I'm not going to continue to try to imitate him. But basically, it boiled down to this. I said, look, let's set up a trap. I'm paying for my product. I'm going to wire a million dollars at the end of this week. And you'll be able, I'll send you the wire receipts. And then you call me and tell me how much money you get. And so I paid for the product. I wired a million dollars. And, um, and he got 400000 This dude skimmed six hundred k that week off of the top. And so, uh, we decided to have a secret meeting in Taiwan where I would fly to Taiwan and meet with them and their team, Taipei, Taiwan. It's the, the capital city of Taiwan. At least I think it is, but it's, it's freaking massive. It's, you know, about the size of the state of New York with maybe three times the, the population density. It's insane. So, I need somebody. I need to find somebody who's on my side, who understands their language. So I'm I'm in the middle of nowhere, in Missouri, and I run I run an ad, and and the ad basically says I need somebody that uh, speaks Mandarin, uh, ideally Taiwanese or both. And I need you to, to be comfortable with international travel, have a passport. And so this, this guy shows up little, um, a Taiwanese man. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought this Chinese guy walks in and, but, but anyway, he was Asian. And so that was probably kind of a racist thing to say, but any, I'm going to keep rolling. So, um, this guy walks in and he sits down across from me and he says, um, Hey, I'm, I'm here to interview for the job. I, you know, this is what's important to me. Here's what I'm about. Here's where I live. And I'm like, wow, you are absolutely a godsend. You are somebody that I needed to, uh, to me. I go, I'm doing business in Taiwan. He goes, Oh, this is my home country. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And I go, um, I said, well, I'm, we're actually conducting business in Taipei, Taiwan. He goes, Oh, this is my hometown. I'm like, wow. And so then I tell him the, the general area and the guy literally lived a half mile from the manufacturer growing up as a kid. It was, it was incredible. And so, Uh, this guy's name was CJ. and, And so CJ, I tell him, I need you to go over here and be my ears. And so we fly over and we go over with the intention of, Hey, we just want to square this all away. But the Taiwanese had decided they wanted to woo us and get us to do business with them. And so we get on a plane, I fly, uh, fly to Taiwan. I've got CJ in tow in the trip. You know, we're talking about our families and our, our beliefs and everything. And, and, so this guy came to America speaking two languages, Taiwanese and Mandarin Chinese. And um, he heard that if you go to a church, it's a great place reading the Bible and being around Christians. They'll work with you on your English and, and like it's just a great place to learn English. And so that's what he did. In fact, he met his wife who taught herself Taiwanese and Mandarin at church and they had a, you know, a family of three or four kids and, and, th- but he was hardcore sold out on Jesus. Like he was about, he was about his faith and, and he made it super, super clear. So we fly into Taipei, Taiwan. We have our meetings. They're awesome meetings. These guys recognize instantly that we're paying our bills and we're not the ones at fault here. And, um, and so we, we afterwards they're like, okay, we're, we're good. And their culture is very interesting. You know, at, at, uh, a couple, three intervals during the course of the day, the entire staff shuts the lights off and they lay their heads down and they take a rest at their desks. Like they're all about balance and they do that at the manufacturing facilities. They do that at, in the offices. So we're sitting there having a meeting and the lights go out and I see a bunch of, of, of Taiwanese girls lay their heads on their desk. I'm like, what is happening? And so they explain this, is our culture, this is what we do. Like they're, they're just taking a nap and they'll get right back to work. Like, cool. But at about 2.30, you're like, all right, let's wrap it up. We're going to go get a, a foot massage. Then we're going to go to dinner. And then we're going to go to karaoke. It's going to be awesome. Now, I'm from America. So here's what I just played out in my head. We're going to go get a foot massage. That means that somebody's going to rub around on my feet. Then we're going to go get some dinner. Cool, check. I know what dinner is. And then we're gonna go to karaoke. So I'm envisioning a bunch of Asian guys smoking cigarettes in a dark lounge somewhere, singing Michael Jackson songs and and you know, beat that, beat that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I had no idea. That's what I thought it was gonna be. I was super, I was like, all right, well, this is kind of fucking weird, but okay. Let's let's go sing some karaoke. But here's how the the day actually went. So um CJ. I think had a better idea of what was coming, but he didn't warn me. He just, I just watched his physicality tense and shift and change. And so first we go to the foot massage and the foot massage looks something like this. You walk into a room, it looks like a theater, but the seats are all recliners and they're very robust recliners and they're very wide. And, um, they're cascading down. Like if you could can imagine or if you're watching us live or if you're watching, you know, the video of this podcast, it, it literally is great big steps, but in front of the recliners, there was about a six or eight foot lip in front of the recliner, which is, is kind of interesting. So you, you, we climb into a recliner We we're, we're sectioned off in a VIP area. These guys are like, they really want to impress me. And they're like, all right, foot massage. So they roll up our pant legs, take our socks off, take our shoes off, and they start massaging our feet. Pretty soon they come around and they start massaging our heads and then our necks and then our shoulders, and then they push us forward. So I'm in like a, if you've ever seen, uh, Rob Deerdick in, in his show that he does, um, um, I'm not thinking the name of it. I'm sure Phil can, can tell me here. No, ridiculousness. Yeah. They call it the lawn chair, right? It's, it's where your nose touches your knees or, or vice versa. So what they, they lawn chaired me. I've been you all the way forward and they're pushing on your back. They're pushing on your back. And and these girls may weigh 110, 115 pounds, and CJ is very uncomfortable with the entire thing. And then they um, hook their arms under your underarms. They plant their knees in your back. And these are small girls. But before I know it, she rocks back, picks me completely up. She's in the recliner. I'm doing a backbend over her knees in the recliner. And I'm like, what in the fuck kind of a foot massage is this? And CJ, I glance over at him and he's making a sign of the cross. <laughs> like, he's He's very uncomfortable that this girl is touching like this. But but And to make matters worse, he opted for some special treatment that required her to rub on his neck with some kind of a metal utensil and and then did some uh, some bowl therapy. And so he had these little what looked like hickeys when we left with with these red marks rubbed up and down. It was really, really funny. Anyway, so we go to dinner. Dinner was an entire other experience that doesn't have anything to do with this. But we're on our way to karaoke and CJ leans over and he's like, I'm very uncomfortable with karaoke. I'm like, yeah, but... Um, We're VIPs and I don't care about the VIP treatment. I need time with Thomas so I can negotiate a bigger line of credit than what they offered us today. I want them to provide us all the product that we could possibly need. And they showed us a pile of 30,000 heaters that they are thinking about sending to us on consignment. That's a game changer for the scale of my business. And we're talking about three to $5 million worth of product that they're just going to give to me to sell and I'll pay for it after I sell it. It doesn't get any fucking better than that. So calm down. Let's hear. Like, let's just I'm I'm with you, dude. Like from a from a line standpoint, I'm not the guy that's gonna do anything crazy. Let's just let's we have a mission. This is our mission. He's like, okay, but I again I am very uncomfortable. I'm like, all right, yeah, I get it. You said that. But I didn't know. So here's what karaoke looks like. We go to karaoke, and first of all, when you walk into the place, it really does look like um what i would imagine like a 1840s 1850s uh whorehouse like i don't even know how to like red lights shining up on the building the front door is made of leather when you come in it's got a kind of a funky smell to it and 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 it's uh you know i i can't even describe the smell but it's it's sweet but kind of dirty it's 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 very bull so anyway we get led down this really magnificent grand hall with ornate woodwork all the way around it and and marble floors and then we go to the room at the end and i walk in and everybody in the tour that i had met at the manufacturer that day all of the vip's i walk in the room and like oh big boss big boss and you could just tell they were putting it on super super thick but you play along culturally i had read before i went that like rejecting could be a quick you're out something's wrong with this guy. He doesn't like us. It's offensive. Like I ate everything they put in front of me. I shook everybody's hands. I was very, like I was on point the entire trip up to this point and CJ's with me. So he's sitting next to me. He's not quite holding my arm, but he's almost holding my arm. And, and man, this is a long story. I think I might have to do a part two to this podcast, but, but anyway, we go in, we sit in a U shaped room and literally 18 girls walk in in bikinis. There are 18 men in this room. And I say to Thomas, Thomas, I want to talk to you. So I don't want anybody sitting between us. I'm not like, I want to have, yeah, 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 no, that's fine. You're VIP. You have whatever you want. Uh, Are you sure you don't want two or three girls? I go two or three girls for what? I go, Oh, nothing. No, 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 not inappropriate. They, they fill up your drink. They hand you food. They're nice. They, if you want a a shoulder rub, they give you a shoulder rub, but you know, everything's appropriate. I'm like. Now he he said that in a much more broken space than that, but I said, Yeah, okay, um, that's fine, I don't care, you pick. And so he he picks a girl, comes and sits between me and CJ, and then um, they say, CJ, you pick her, he goes, No, no, no. And, and Thomas, says, ah, da, da. he, you know, Thomas says, CJ, you're just being shy, no problem, I'll pick for you too. Picks a girl, she comes over, she's on the other side of CJ, and um, now here's the nice thing. I told Thomas, I don't know what you say to this girl. I don't want to rub my leg. I don't want, like, I want to talk to you. He's like, okay. So he, he speaks to her, da, 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 da. And I said, I think CJ probably wants the same thing. He, he rattles off something to that girl. So I'm thinking, okay, we're good to go. I don't turn back to CJ other than to have him try to translate for me. But I've got a girl sitting between CJ and I, and there's a girl sitting on the other side of CJ and I, and, and, uh, we're there for no more than four minutes. And CJ says, Michael, can I talk to you? And I said, uh, yeah, man, what's going on? And and he said, uh, can you step out in the hall? And I'm like, Thomas, I'm so sorry. Give me just one second. So I step out in the hall and CJ says, I don't want to be here. And I said, Yeah, but dude, like, we're all in a room, a bunch of dudes talking business, like, ignore the nonsense because all of the factory managers, they're loving it, right? They're eating it up. This is an excuse for the corporate to pay for some girl to rub around on them who they can talk to. And they can act like, like it it was, it was, um, it was sleazy. It was a, it was a dirty environment, but I was trying to conduct business. I was on a mission. And so I was ignoring all of the nonsense to get to where I was heading. Right. And, and for CJ, he's like, no, man, I'm like, look, 30 minutes, just tell the girl. And so I'm now I'm super in tune. I'm watching CJ. This girl keeps trying to rub his leg, shoves her hand off. She keeps trying, like shoves her hand off the girl that I was sitting next to totally respected my space. Um, she's, she started once trying to rub my shoulders like Thomas, I don't, I don't, don't do that. She's like, all right, stop. Like, and so, so we conducted business. And after 30 minutes to the, to the second CJ says, time to go. I'm like, Josh shit, we're talking about the line of credit. And, but I think, you know what? I told him 30 minutes. And so I said, Thomas, we're going to go ahead and go. Um, thank you so much. This, today's been amazing. Uh, think about what we talked about, and let's talk, circle back around to it in the morning. Okay, great. We said our goodbyes. Everybody, all oh, bye, big boss. All oh, you know, leave. The party just starting, and I'm like, yeah, but no, we're leaving. So I get in the van, and CJ rides the van with me. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word the entire trip back to the hotel. He then follows me into the lobby of the hotel. We're on different floors, but he says, "I'll walk you to your room." I'm thinking. know what kind of customary this is, but I don't know if I like it. So CJ rides the elevator up to my floor. He says, I, may I walk down to your room? I just want to chat with you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Come on. So I'm thinking we're going to talk in the hallway and then I'm going to go into my room and go to sleep. And he doesn't say a word. We get to his hall. He goes, uh, can we please go in now? I just hired this guy a week ago. I'm like, sure. Yeah. We can go in. We say, uh, he says, okay, we go in. First of all, this guy's half my size. Literally half my size. He might weigh 120 pounds. I'm I'm way over 200 pounds. I, I mean, I'm a bigger guy, and in these days, I was bigger and kind of fat and broady. And so, anyway, it was like I was a lot bigger, 230, 240, almost double this guy's size. We get into my room. He goes, "Will you please sit down?" Like, what? what the fuck did you just say? Will, will you please have a seat? And so I think, all right, yeah, sure, I'll sit down. So I sit down. I say, "What's going on?" And CJ looks at me, and with all of the veracity and, and, and emotion you could, could imagine looks me dead in the eyes and says, I have a bottom line. And then proceeds to chew my ass. And I take it. I just listen. And he goes on for about five minutes telling me all the reasons why that experience that I just forced him to be in exceeded his bottom line. And there was a lot more to the conversation. I had to hip check him a little bit. And we had a great relationship that went on for a long, long time. He let me know that he had a bottom line. Now, I didn't, you know, this was was over a decade ago. And we're we're talking actually probably at this point, almost 15 years ago. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was just learning how business went as I went, how deals were made, what was culturally acceptable. What I I could have, in hindsight, and I've learned since then to ask a lot more questions, to get very, very zeroed in on on what was what. And that place, that karaoke place, could have been some sort of a brothel. There could have been a a level two to that that I I didn't experience and had no idea of, and maybe he did. But in that moment, he's yelling. I mean, he's getting aggressive. I'm starting to get a little pissed. And, and so I say, whoa, whoa, I've let you jump my ass quite long enough. You've worked for me for two weeks. You don't know me. You don't know my character. You don't know our company yet. You just know that you felt uncomfortable. And for that, I'm sorry. I will not put you in this situation again moving forward. If there's something like this, and I think it's questionable to the point that you don't want to go do it, then I won't ask you to do it. And I won't do it either just to show you that. I 100% am, am with you from an integrity standpoint. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to mess around with the Chinese girl on the other side of the world. Like, that's not, I'm just trying to conduct a business deal. And so I talked to him off the ledge. But here's the thing he knew something that took me a long time to piece together. And that is, you have to have a bottom line. I mean, it's the funniest thing. I've said this lots of times, jokingly, because he would say, "I have a bottom line," and he was so mad. "I have a bottom line," and like numerous times, "I have a bottom line," and and so as he did that, every time he said, "I have a bottom line," it was a gut punch. Like, man, do I have a bottom line? What's my bottom line? Like, what 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 had I done? And and so after I talked him off the ledge, after he calmed down a little bit, we agreed, hey, we'll we'll protect ourselves from situations that. Either one of us are uncomfortable in. We'll hold each other accountable. I kicked him out of my room because, again, this dude followed me all the way up to my hotel room, invited himself in, sat the CEO of the company down. And, it, and it's, you know, growing to be a pretty big company at that point. I think we were doing, I don't know, 10 or 15 million in sales that year, mailing these guys. Uh, no, it would have been more than that. We were over 20 million at that point because we were mailing these guys in the heater season, almost a million dollars a week. But but anyway, he sat my ass down and told me what it was. He was willing to lose his job because morally he had established his north. His compass was clear. This is what I'll do. This is what I won't do. And I think that this is something that a lot of people need to come to some sort of grips with. It's something that I, I am continuously evolving on from where I stand and in, in what I believe. And I see people here lately I seem to be noticing more and more and more that there are, are men and women who they're they're weak in their constitution. They haven't figured out who they are. They literally grown adults who, as an example, I'll hire somebody. Here's what I'm going to do here. And, and they and they say things, and they, these are trigger words, but to, to be real honest with you or to tell you the truth or to, you know, I, I, my favorite here recently was a, a guy that said, I'm the kind of person, you don't know me yet, but I'm the kind of person. And he kept having to tell me the kind of person he was, and he turned out to just be a bullshitter, and total liar. And later I find that he's more of a victim than somebody who would stand up and say, here's what it is. Here's who I am. This is my bottom line. And he acted like he had a bottom line after he had already broken his word a half a dozen times. But it was bullshit. It was weak. It was sorry. And I hated it. And it just caused me... So, interesting. You know, this wasn't the one time, right? Like, I shared this story because this is an extreme example. One, it's kind of a fun, cool story. Two, it was super, super funny. I had never had a 110-pound... Like literally, small Asian girl. Like if 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 you would have saw me and I would have told you that she hooked her arms underneath my arms and rolled me up like a pretzel, you would have you wouldn't have believed me. Like it was it was incredible. And then later dinner, and and then beyond that, um, the karaoke, and that's what they call it, karaoke, um, the karaoke. <laughs> Bill's laughing because I shouldn't be saying stuff like I don't care. It's my podcast. And and so it, it was a cool, interesting story. But in that was this huge golden nugget that CJ gave me. And at the time, I didn't even realize how valuable of a nugget it really was. It took a long time before I realized that, wait a second, for me, like I can talk about mental toughness, I can talk about fortitude, I can talk about grit, I can talk about all these fun, cliche, bullshit words that don't mean anything until you establish where is your bottom line. Like what are your core values and principles that you stand on? So no matter what happens, you know where your true north is, because this is the thing. Where and it doesn't matter if you work for somebody else, if you work for yourself, if if you're in a a, a, a new relationship or an old one, like you have to have these. This is the way that I operate in the game. Recently, I was reading a book. It's it's uh, Ray Dalio's book, and, and it's called Principles, and. Essentially, it's the rules that he's built his company on. If you don't know Ray Dalio, just Wikipedia this guy. He's uh, maybe one of the top 10 or 15 richest men in the world. He's ran a, a super, super successful financial uh, services company. And and anyway, this this book, Principles, just is, is really, really profound. But one of the foundational messages that he had that was in the first third of the book and then reiterated again in the second third, it was like a 550-page book, Right. But multiple times in this book, he talks about you, your integrity, where you stand, how you operate might not be understood by others, but you have to understand it. Because where you sacrifice your integrity, when no one's looking, dictates how you operate when everyone's watching. And you see, we all, we think that we operate in this place where nobody can see behind the veil. We think that in our own minds, we're Oz. We think that whenever we, we're, we're out in the world, people don't see behind. But here's the thing. We have, we have our upper level, the executive level of our brain, the brain, the part of our brain that makes decisions and, and helps us to coordinate and guide. And, and then we have the lower level, this primal level, the same kind of level that, that animals have, right? And it's, um, it's funny. Uh, I'm going to tell you kind of a crude, quick story to make this make sense, and then I'll tie it all together. But I'm in the gym. So I have this cute little puppy. His name's Remy. He's adorable. Um, We had Remy clipped after he was, I don't know, five or six months old. If, you know, if just to keep everybody up, we cut his balls off, right? Because we wanted him to calm down. He was, he was a terrorist and um, he was doing terrorist type things to this furry bed we have. I don't know if it was just his blow up girlfriend, whatever, but it's this furry bed and we would just come in the room and, and he would be Pass out in a pool of sweat from <laughs> anyway. Remy's a terrorist, and uh, and so we we got him clipped, and we thought, okay, that's going to stop. Right, he's going to quit humping the bed, but um, it didn't work. He he had already decided, I love this bed, <laughs> and so when we when he finds this bed, uh, which just happens to be our other puppy Peanut, it's his bed, right? When, but when Remy finds Peanut's bed, if this particular version of it, um, he ravages it if he's alone. Now, when somebody's in the room, you can tell that he wants to, cause he'll circle that thing and he'll stare at it. And so we move this bed down to the gym because our puppies like to come down to our home gym and they like to just be around us while we're working out. Like they want to be in the part of the house we're in. And so we move these two beds down there. And last night I'm working out and Remy comes down into the room and he stares at this bed. And I just see the, like he just wants it. Right. Um, and so like, he doesn't have an executive level to his brain. He just has a core primal, this is what I, want, that's what I 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 want. And and so I see him, he puts one hand over the bed, and he puts the other hand over the bed, and I know what he's getting ready to do. And I say, Remy, no. And he backs off, and he, and he glances at me and then stares at the bed. And then he goes down onto, like, I would call him his knees and elbows, but he 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 lays halfway down, and he's glaring at the bed like, you know, uh, in in my head, I'm, I'm hearing some some old, you know, music playing in the background for him. And he's trying to seduce visually this bed. Like the bed's going to get up and come to him. But it's not, right? But in his mind, he wants the bed. And, and now he knows I'm watching. He knows somebody's watching. So he's going to abstain from the bed. But he sees it. And what he doesn't realize is that I'm watching his desire for this bed. So I distract him with a toy. I throw the toy. And I pick the bed up and I set it up on a shelf in the gym. Because I don't want him to touch the bed and I don't want to have to sit here and watch him. I'm not super interested in working out, looking over and seeing my, this puppy that I love humping this, you know, his, his inanimate girlfriend. It's not my thing. I don't want to see it. So I go back to working out and here in a little bit, I notice that he's moved his location in the room and now he's on the floor and he's still just staring up at that bed. Stamps up on the wall, sniffs it, he can almost get to it with his nose, realizes he can't get it and then he just sits back down, but he just stares at it. Now, here's the thing. In that core part of our brain, one, I just want to share the story. It's kind, of, it's kind of gross, whatever. But he can't help it because we have these core abilities programmed into us. For him, it's a desire. I want it. And he's able to sustain because he knows everybody's watching. So there's a couple points here, right? We are able to sustain those things that we, that we wouldn't do out in public or that we wouldn't do under certain watchful eyes. Like for some people might be offended by my language in the podcast, but I, I don't care. For some people, they cuss like sailors when no one's looking, but then stand in church with their chest out like, oh, I would never do that. You're a terrible human being. No different than Remy sitting there in private, staring at the bed. Oh, I want you, bed. But it's 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 his desire. He knows I'm standing there watching, so he's gonna abstain. Although everything about him screams, that's the thing that I really want. And here's the thing that you as a human being need to understand. Somewhere in our subconscious, somewhere deep in our in the lower level of our brain, not the executive level, not top level, not the decision-making part, but the lower level, we have, and, and women, we would call it intuition, you know, for a woman, we call it intuition, right? You have intuition, you have the Holy Spirit, you have this thing inside of you that reads situations you can't understand, but you just get a feeling. Well, we also have, rather than just, you you imagine like a satellite dish, a receiver, right? We also have the other side of our, our brain. And that's the signal that we put out. It's a signal that we send out. And there are receptors out there picking up the things that you're about and the things that you're not about. Because, and, and for some of us, they think that those aren't, like you think that you can't perceive those because I don't tell you. But if you spend any amount of time with anybody at all, your gut will tell you the quality of person that you're dealing with. And you need to understand that. And, and if you think about it, you're gonna think, you could literally sit here and think and take a minute and do it right now. Think about somebody who, From all indicators you should like as a human being, but there's something about them that makes you uneasy. There's something about them that you don't trust. There's something about them that feels wily coyote. And that's, and that is because there is something there. You have to listen to your gut. You have to listen to yourself. You have to realize that maybe their bottom line doesn't align with your bottom line. So that's kind of the first thing, right? You have to recognize that whether you think you're hiding your secrets, if you think you're hiding who you are at your core, if you run around and act like a trash person, but then externally want to be perceived as something entirely different, you're probably failing. There's somebody who's picking up on the quality of human being that you are. Now, here's the other side of it. And this is why I did this podcast. This is why I did the bottom line. Because if you talk to anybody that has had any level of success, and I'm not talking about like just a little bit, I'm talking about like copious amounts of true success. This isn't just a measurement of money here, right? It's a measurement of relationships. It's a measurement of, of life. Like truly happy, those people that when you're around them, like that little receiver that you have internally, you're drawn to them, right? They, You feel that pull to them. If you ask them, those people have a core value set that they believe in. They have the thing that they stand in. and And our core value sets might not align, but they know exactly who they are and they operate that way. They attract the people that level to them. And so I'm just, I just... I just have been, I found myself lately so pissed off because I've, I've been exposed to some just absolute shitty people. And I think about, man, if they just had a non-justified bottom line. And what I mean by that is you don't get to say to me, my bottom line is here but it's, it's lower because I don't like this thing you did. You don't get to say to me, well, I lied my ass off, but it's because of this inside of your organization or it's because of that person inside of your business or it's because of this or it's because of that. Like, you don't have a bottom line. You're weak. And you might not like this as a message to, to you. Like, whoever's listening to this, you might think, fuck you, Michael. You don't know my life. But truly, if, if like I know how I operate, I know how I treat people, I know where I step hard and where I stand firm. And it gives me so much authority and power inside of the way that I operate because CJ taught me a long, long time ago that I have to like v- vivaciously stand on my bottom line. This is my bottom line this is what I'll do. This is what I won't do. This is how I'll operate. This is how I won't operate. This is what I'll say. This is what I won't say. And, and you don't have to be on the same plane as me inside of that, but it means that I can consistently stand in who I am. You know, the reference point here to this guy that I, I'm not going to call out, and I'm not going to even give enough information that anybody could pick up what it is, but He lied to me so much, like straight through his teeth. Just the most elaborate bullshit fucking story you could ever imagine. There was some basis of truth inside of it. Maybe it meant something. But here's the killer. When I was put in a position where I could speak to him directly and there was no way out, eyeball to eyeball, man to man, it wasn't, yeah, you know what? I shouldn't have lied. I should have XYZ'd. It was just excuse and reason and excuse and reason. And it was this fake ass fucking facade. Because if, if we really could have just dissected to the facts, he had lied from the very first conversation I ever had with him. And he pretended like his lies were justified because of this fake fucking bottom line. And whenever I left that conversation, I thought, man, why can't you just, like, why can't I, like, here's my failure. Why can't I surround myself with people that only live in a space of fact? Even if I disagree with their basis of what fact is, if you and I, like politically as an example, you could take a position. These are the facts that cause me to have this political opinion. But this is where I am. Some of, like, if you know me, you know I'm a conservative. Like, that's the way I lean. It's, it is what it is. But some of my best friends are liberals. Like, hardcore, far to the other side liberals. And I respect the shit out of them. Because they stand there on their facts and our facts don't align. Like what? What is theirs is theirs. But they don't bullshit and pretend to be me or pretend to be in alignment with me. They just say, "Hey, I disagree with that, and here's why." And I respectfully think, you know what? I respect your opinion. I think it's bullshit, but I respect it. I respect that it's not just some like weak ass. Oh, willy nilly. I rather somebody that say, "Hey, I fucking." disagree with you and hate you and never want to talk to you again. I would rather that transaction than somebody look at me and say what I want to hear in the moment and then turn around and be a two-faced piece of shit later. Like that is the catalyst for bottom line. And I can't tell you how much power you gain Whenever you get super zeroed in on who you are, because it deletes bullshit. We're all going to have rumors about us. I've had a mountain of them. We're all going to have lies told about us often. Like literally when you have a dealership with your name on it, people get online and they lie their asses off to make themselves look better. When you have a podcast, and you put all your opinions out online, like people get on and they lie their ass off. They have lots to say about you. Most of it's horse shit because they don't even fucking know you. Like I expose myself in a very vulnerable way doing this because I can stand firm on who the fuck I am, what the fuck I stand for, what's important to me what I'll walk away from intellectually or logically, and what I'll fight for. And that's because a long time ago, somebody showed me the importance of a bottom line. I hope that makes sense for you. I hope the story ties together. I think if I were going to nutshell this, right? Like CJ was forced because of my authority to bend his bottom line. And internally he was erupting because he didn't even want to be in that situation. And if I had been super clear about where is my bottom line as it pertains to business, I would have spoke up and said, "Hey, I don't think we should do that. Let's do something different." I would have never exposed him. I would have never bent his bottom line. He would have never had to have caved to my authority. And I would have never got my ass chewed out by the youngest employee that's ever successfully done it in my career up to that point and since that point. Successfully to the point that I I owed that person an absolute apology. If you can get that clear on who you are, and what's important to you, where your morals and guidelines lay based off of fact and truth, then there's no way that you can operate in this role that a failure. Because people will be attracted to you. Opportunity will attract to you. You'll be clear and in power and ready to execute on it because you don't have the lies and the bullshit circling around the stories. This is why I I lean so heavy on facts, feelings, and fiction. Be That's why these be it's it's conflict resolution, it's decision making, it's execution, and the more clear you are on the facts and what your facts are, and what your morals are, and where your bottom line is, it, like the power that you operate from just explodes. Savvy. Bulletproof, built tougher than your average ultimate hustler I'm the total package bulletproof I know you see me in your scope, I'm the captain of the ship, you just a sailor with a boat Bulletproof